Self-sufficiency is certainly a, a sin. We talked about it last week, how self-sufficiency is, is, uh, is kind of like pride and pride is sin. It's easy to become self-sufficient, to do things yourself without God's help. It's also easy to become self-confident. And I mean, let's be honest. How many of us would have to admit that we probably live most of our life without God's help? We just tend to do it on our own. I, I have had, had people through the years say to me, you know, I, I, just, I just don't need God. I, I don't believe in God. I, I certainly don't want anybody, especially God, telling me how to live my life. I, I don't believe in God. I don't need God. Well, you might not be one of the people that comes right out and says that kind of thing, but maybe what you do makes that kind of statement. I mean, stop and think about it. How often do you talk to God in prayer? If, if you're not talking to God on, in prayer on a regular basis, you're telling God you don't need him. Think about that. And how often do you allow God to speak to you through a study of his word? If you don't open up God's word and let God speak to you through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the written word, then you just might be saying to God, I don't need you. Dr. Jim Perdue said Americans are often taught the value of self-esteem, self-assurance, and self-confidence. But there's just one problem. You don't find these values anywhere in the Bible, and he's right. I hate to say it, but it's a true statement. Our kids today are being taught that there's no such thing as God. They're being taught that there are no absolutes, and certainly the Bible's not real. They're being taught that you're your own God so you can live your life any way that you want to. It's your life, it's your body. You can do with it what you please. You can make your own mind up about what you want to be. You can decide how you want to live your life. You can make self your own God. And in fact, people are encouraged to do that. If you and I are honest, truly honest today, we'd have to admit that there's a huge conflict between the worldview that we live in and the word of God. They do not go together. They simply don't agree. They're at polar opposites. Someone's got to be right. Someone's got to be wrong. There's no middle ground when you start looking at that particular subject. You can't both be right. You can't have both uh, of, of them being right. They both lead in opposite directions. So either you're the person that's going in the right direction or maybe you're the person going in the wrong direction. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Philippians, said, watch out for those dogs. Notice that. Those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Who are the wicked people that Paul's talking about? Who are the dogs? We, we talked about them last week. We talked about them being the, the Judaizers that rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. They refused to believe that Jesus was God's son and that he came to be the savior of the world. They were the ones that were, were hard set on the fact that they believed that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul goes on in verse three and says these words and they're powerful. He says, for we who worship God in the spirit are the only ones who are truly circumcised. We have had our heart surgery. We know what it is to, to trust in the Lord. He says this, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We are trusting what Jesus did at the cross. He said, we, do, we, we put no confidence in human effort. 
Think about that. What does he mean? What is Paul trying to say when he says those words? I think he's saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all if you follow Jewish ritual, uh, the, the ritual of circumcision or any other tradition that the Jews had. It doesn't matter because your action will not save your lost soul. There's nothing that you can do physically in a way of an act or a deed that can cause you to be saved. Listen, uh, of all the people that I baptized here this morning, uh, not a one of them were saved as a result of believers' baptism today. Do you all understand that? Nobody got saved. I, I told them last Sunday, and then again, there I met with some Thursday night. We had some more uh, baptismal council on Thursday night. I said to them, every one of them, I said, look, I can baptize you for, for the rest of your life, every day for the rest of your life. And if you're not saved before we start the process of baptism, you will certainly not be saved when we get through. Why? It's because God never intended for baptism to save anybody. It's just like church membership. You can join all the churches you want to join, but that's not going to save your soul. The Bible clearly teaches that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to be made right with God. We are separated from God by sin and only by faith in Jesus Christ can we come back to know him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes back to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is the only one that can save your lost soul. But the beautiful thing is there's not a lost soul that he can't save. I love that. Nobody, nobody uh, is, is beyond saving when it comes to God's grace. Well, here we are. We're about two weeks away from Easter. You guys, are, are y'all realizing how fast this year is going away? The older you get, the faster time flies. Amen. It's already, it's already Easter. Now I like to think of it as resurrection Sunday. I, I, I like that terminology better. What's so special about Easter? What's so special about Resurrection Sunday? Is it, is it, a, is it about Easter eggs and, and bunnies? No, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. What did Jesus do for you on that particular day? What did he do for you that week 2,000 years ago? He did something very special. I want to answer that question with a, with a verse of scripture. It's a good verse. You can mark it in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Look at what Paul wrote when he wrote to the Corinthians in his letter. He said, I, pass on, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day as the scripture said. Folks, Jesus left the royal comforts of heaven to come to earth, to dwell in flesh, to go to the cross. He came to die. I was talking to one of the kids the other day about Jesus being crucified on the cross and they they asked me the question, why did Jesus have to die such a horrible death? And without even blinking or thinking, I said, it's because sin is dirty. Sin is nasty. It is very offensive to God. It's ugly. It, it, it hurts God. It's, uh, it breaks God's heart when we sin. Sin is nothing more than disobedient acts that 
God has to punish because he promised to do so. He will not tolerate sinfulness. Jesus came to take our punishment. This is, this is hard for me to understand because I, I think back when I was in elementary school, I, I kind of counted it off the other day. Actually, throughout school, I went to the principal's office three times. And each time I got two licks. Y'all know what those licks are. Not with a tongue either. <laughs> I, I got two licks each time. And, and every time that I went to the office, there was somebody with me, but usually they were a guilty party, so they couldn't take my licks for me. But I actually never had anybody step up and say, hey, I'm innocent, I'll take your punishment for you. Nobody. Would, would y'all have done that for me if you'd been in school with me? Probably not. I, I know you guys pretty well. Um, God punished his son for the sin that you and I committed. Hard for us to wrap our mind around that. Think about it. Jesus lived 33 years on earth as a human being just like you and I, tempted in every way like we have been tempted, and he never one time sinned, never one time. So he was innocent of all sin. He never felt guilt or shame. He never felt any of what we have felt as sinners. And then when he hung on the cross, the Bible says he took the sins of the world upon his shoulders and God punished him as if he was punishing all of us. I think that's why Jesus, when he hung on the cross, one of the things he said, and you got to take it into context, never in all of eternity had God the Father and God the Son ever been separated, but there on that cross... There was a moment when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You want to know why? It's because God will have no part of sin. Sin is offensive. It breaks the heart of God and God punished his son. And one of the things he did in punishing him was to separate himself from any kind of relationship or fellowship for that brief moment. Jesus came to die. He came to be buried. And he came to be raised to live again. That is the gospel in a nutshell. It's all about the events of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's his story. It's his redemptive story. He had a purpose in coming. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. Dr. J. Kai Bowman said, fortunately, the message of the cross is not subject to the changing mood of culture, which come uh, and go with the seasons. Instead, the gospel revealed in the written word of God, needs no editorial adaptation from generation to generation and will never be shaken by the ebb and flow of popular opinion. Thank God our gospel does not change. I read the other day about a woman who was getting a little bit older and somewhat forgetful. So she got on the phone, she called her grandson and asked him if he would come over and help her she needed to find her old Sears catalog, not the recent one, but the one from 30 years before. Yeah. She wanted something that the store no longer carried, and she wanted to pay the price from decades ago. In her confusion, fusion, she mistakenly assumed that the old catalog like her memories were frozen in time. 
Now, guys, we know it doesn't work that way in today's economy, does it? You pay the price of today. But you know what? It works that way in God's economy. Think about it. The price for your sin was set by God a long, long time ago. What was it? He says in Scripture, the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. And ultimately, if you remain spiritually dead throughout your life and then die physically, you will spend eternity separated from God. That is what we're talking about here when we say the wages of sin is death. Being eternally separated from God with no way to ever have fellowship with him again. Here's the good news. The really good news is the fact that your sin debt's already been paid, and it's been paid in full. Jesus Christ paid that sin debt on the cross. He took your sins. He paid your sin debt. Therefore, salvation is free. And, and, and the beautiful thing is that all we have to do to receive that is just receive a free gift that Jesus wants to give us. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to buy it. We just have to receive it. The simplicity of the gospel is truly amazing to me. In fact, it can be described in just 24 English words that are found right here in this verse in 1 Corinthians. It says, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. It's very easy for us to read that and just pass over it and think nothing of it. But folks, that's the greatest event that's ever taken place. Jeff Crook says it is so simple that a child can hear the gospel message and be eternally saved and yet so profound that theological scholars cannot touch the bottom of this ocean of truth. Oh, what a wonderful God we have, says Paul. How great are his riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decision and his methods. You know, I don't know if, I, I don't know if I'd have done it the way God did it. But then I'm not God. I told some of the girls the other day, I said, you know, I have two beautiful daughters that I love. And they're, they're a treasure, they're a gift from God. And if I had to give up either of my daughters to save any of y'all, y'all would be in trouble. <laughs> I might die for you, but I'm not going to give up one of my daughters. And yet God gave up his only son. That which he loved the most, he gave it up because he loved you too. Because he was willing to save your soul. The biblical truth is this fact. Jesus died. Jesus died and Jesus was buried. And Jesus is risen. He is risen. He's alive. And praise God, that, that is a truth that, that, if you will just embrace that simple truth, then you, you will be profoundly transformed in your life. I promise you, you'll never be the same. Paul wrote these words in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. He said, for when you were baptized, you were buried with Christ. And in baptism, you were raised with Christ. Now, that is a symbolic message that everyone that we baptized this morning was expressing. Think about it. As they went into that water, they were dying to their old self symbolically. But as they brought 
as I brought them up out of that water, they were symbolically expressing their new life in Christ. They are new individuals in the Lord. That was, that was an outward expression of an inward transformation that had already taken place when they invited Christ into their heart. Paul expresses that in 2 Corinthians 5.17 with these words. He says, what this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They're not the same. In fact, if they're the same person after we bring them up or after they put their trust in Christ, then we got a problem. We got a problem. He says they are not the same anymore for the old life is gone and the new life has begun. In verse 18, he goes on to say, all of this newness of life is from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did and God has given us. Who's us? Us. Pardon my English. Us is you and me, the church, he's given us the task of reconciling people to himself. You know what? I'd love to do this every week. Amen? And we should be. We should, we should be baptizing 150, 200 people this year. That's a task. That is our responsibility. We don't do it for numbers. We don't do it to put another notch in our pistol or to toot our whistle. But we do it to bring glory to God. And every time somebody prays and receives Christ, the kingdom grows by one. And he wants that kingdom full. Amen? We got a lot of work to do. Look with me at another verse. Galatians chapter 2 verse 19. This is powerful. Paul says, for when I tried to keep the law, that's like you and I trying to be good and get into heaven because of our good deeds. He said, when I tried to keep the law, I realized that I could never earn God's approval. If you were to stop sinning today, would that get you into heaven? If you were to be good from now on, first of all, that's not possible, is it? <laughs> Some of you are really shaking your head, yes. We could never not sin from this day forward. But even if we could, it would not erase the sin that's on our soul. That has to be accounted for and it has to be answered for. Paul says, I realized I could never earn God's approval. In other words, I would never be good enough to get into heaven he says this, so I died to the law. I died to myself. I died to my good deeds, my works, trying to make it into heaven on my own. I died to that so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So I live my life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I want you to enter into a moment of just worship and praise as Ronnie comes and, and shares a song that speaks loudly about ourselves being crucified with Christ. Just listen and give God the glory and praise.
When I look back on what I thought was living I'm amazed at the price I chose to pay And to think I ignored what really mattered Cause I thought the sacrifice would be too great When I finally reached the point of giving in I found the cross was calling even then And even though It took dying to survive I've never felt so much alive For I am crucified with Christ And yet I live Not I but Christ who lives within me His cross will My strength but his There's no greater sacrifice For I am crucified with Christ And yet I live As I hear the Savior call My hands surrender to his piercing purpose that holds me to the cross yet sets me free. I will glory in the power of the cross. The things I thought were gained, I count as loss, and with his suffering. No greater sacrifice For I am crucified with Christ And yet I live And I will offer all I have So that His cross Not I, but Christ who 
not my strength but His There's no greater sacrifice Oh, I am crucified with Christ And yet I powerful song. What a truth. It takes Christ in our life being our Lord and Savior for us to be right with God. Therefore, as we take in Christ, we allow ourselves to be crucified with him. What does that mean? How do you flesh that out? Three thoughts. First of all, as a Christian, it means that I must die daily to self. I've got to be willing to put my pride and my desires and my own selfish interest aside so that Christ can live in me. Self has to decrease so that Christ can increase. We need to learn how to die daily to self. It also means not only do I die daily to self, but I live for Christ. I live for Jesus. He's my reason for existence. Think about it. Jesus is the all-sufficient one. He is the source of life. He is the savior of the world. It is his kingdom and his power and his glory that's gonna last for eternity. When we are weak, Jesus is always strong. No one will ever be able to bless your life like Jesus. Therefore, he is worthy of all of our praise, and he is certainly worthy of us living for him. Are we living for him? Do we live our life for him? What Paul says demands that we die to to self every day and live for Christ, but it also demands that we live by faith. We live by faith. Think about it. What does that mean? Well, it means that just like you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to make things right between you and God, then you live that every day. You you trust him for what you need in that day. You trust him with your life. Folks, if you can trust Jesus with your eternity, you can certainly trust him for your day. And you should. Living with faith in Christ is being confident that Jesus is all you need. At the end of the day, he's all we need. Trusting in Jesus is being confident in his love and his grace, his power, his ability, and not our own. That kind of confidence is the kind of confidence that can help you walk by faith and not by sight. And folks, that is how God wants us to live our lives. 
trusting Jesus, being confident, putting our confidence and trust in him alone. Well, what does that look like, preacher? How do I do that? How do I flesh that out? Well, let me give you an extreme example. Several years ago, Dr. Adrian Rogers was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Pretty much terminal. And he shared with a friend one day, he said, you know, I find myself in a win-win situation. If I live, I win. And if I die, I win. Either way, I'm a winner in Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like. What if that were your situation? We're all going to die, aren't we? Do you have enough confidence in Jesus Christ to live your life and abandon yourself to bring him glory and honor and praise? How about it? How many of us really trust Christ with everything? I think it's when we're in those moments of desperation that we reach out to him the most. But so often when when our health is good and when there's money in the bank and when I got a job, we just tend to kind of put God on the shelf, don't we, and slide through life, trusting what we can do instead of what he can do. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. I want you to think about this. I want you to close your eyes and search your heart. How many of you are living your life as if you don't need God? How many of you are truly trusting God with everything that you have? Is He Lord or is He just Savior? I told everyone that I talked to this week, in fact, we saw two people accept Christ this week. I told both of them, fire insurance won't get you into heaven. If all you want Jesus for is to be your savior, you're barking up the wrong tree. Jesus will not save your soul unless you let him be the Lord of your life. And the only way he's going to be the Lord of your life is if you invite him into your heart. How many of you this morning would be honest and say with every head bowed and every eye closed, I need to trust in the Lord more? How many? Yeah, I thought so. I need to trust in the Lord more. Thank you. Thank you. Several of you are honest. Praise God. We all need to trust in the Lord more. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to have an invitation. I'm going to give you an opportunity to put your trust in the Lord, not just say I need it, but to do it. Maybe you need to come today and recommit your life to the Lord because for a while, at least for a while, you've been, you've been leaning on self and doing life yourself without God's help. Reflect back on that. Be honest. Have you allowed God to be the Lord of your life? Or are you just living, living life any old way that it comes and only when there's a, a real tragedy or a desperate need do you go to God, pull him off the shelf. We're to die to self daily and live for Christ and live by faith. Trust him for everything. There's no prayer too small. There's no need you have that's too big. Jesus is everything.
Some of you here this morning may need to come and ask Jesus into your heart. Let him be the Lord of your life. Don't be afraid to do that. I've seen it happen a couple of times this week, and it's easy. It's just a step of faith in a moment where you trust Jesus to fix everything that's wrong between you and God. Don't keep carrying that load. Give your heart to Jesus. Let him be the Lord of your life. I've seen some pray that prayer this week. And I encourage them to take a step of faith and to be public with their faith and let others know that they put their trust in Jesus and hopefully they'll do that today. How about it, Christian? How about it, sinner? Will you trust Jesus today? Father, we're needy people. We desperately need you to intervene in our life. And Lord, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you will draw those who need you the most today. And God, be powerful and real to them. God, help them to do what they're hesitant about doing. Help them to do what the devil doesn't want them to do. Help them to stand up and put their trust in you. Lord, you're worthy. There's none like you. You're the all-sufficient God that can meet any need we'll ever have. And you're the God that can usher us into eternity through the grace and mercy that was expressed on the cross. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for your invitation to trust you. My prayer is God will take advantage of that opportunity. Thanks again, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's respond to God, giving him glory through our actions. Not just with our lips, but with what we do. You be obedient and be blessed. You come as God leads.